May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Uh, I haven't got lazy and just jumped to the end of the service uh, so I can, you know, go home or something. Uh, I get why it might sound like that because that is how we close the, the liturgy in our services every Sunday, right? I won't say that's how we close our services because the service sort of continues in our fellowship around the coffee tables. Uh, but that's how we finish the liturgy in here. Uh, pretty much every Sunday, right? Uh, we, we always finish with a benediction, with a blessing, and very often with these very words. May the Lord bless you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And these are beautiful and For many of us, they are comforting and encouraging words. But when have you last stopped to think about what it means? What does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed by God? Have you ever made that question? This week, I I asked that question. And I asked it because I was compelled to ask it by the psalm that I want to share with you today. We are in our Summer in the Psalms series here in OIC, so every Sunday we're looking at one of the psalms in the book of Psalms in our Bibles, and today's psalm sings, may God bless us. But what does it mean to be blessed, to have God bless us? And I will, of course, tell you a bit more about the psalm and and the path of reflection that it set me on, but before that, I want to confess something. And it is that I also went on a bit of a fool's errand and fueled very much by curiosity, actually. I I thought before I really unravel all of this biblical stuff, let me check what's associated with the notion of blessing out there on social media. So I typed hashtag blessed on Instagram, right? And... There were, at the time I checked, over 136 million posts with that hashtag. hashtag. That's a lot of blessings, y'all. 136 million. And I did not check them all, I admit. It was a bit short for time and very short for patience. Uh, But there was definitely three top categories of posts, in a way. There were the loose Bible verse slash pseudo-Christian quote slash self-help quote, often written in a, sort of an unflattering choice of font and colors or against the backdrop, background of some random nature picture, like a landscape or a deer or something. Uh, so there were those. And then there were the envy me please selfies, right? And that's people showing off some personal feature like their bodies or their hair or their makeup or something, or showing themselves within an inviolable experience, right? So like a travel backdrop, right? Or showing themselves within an enviable relationship, right? Being my bestie or whatever, uh, or with their friends, uh, hopefully with their friends against the background of some nice place where everybody should go, right? Envy me please selfies, I call them. And then there were the envy this please 
pictures, right? In which people don't even bother to be in the picture. And the picture is just something like a fancy car, a bling watch, or food. Food is a big one, or a tourist attraction, or cute babies, or something, right? Now, of course, this is the kind of thing that populates 90% of social media. And, and I would dare say that the vast majority of us has sent posts that could be interpreted within these categories, guilty as charged, right? And that could be understood within these categories by some cynic viewer, guilty as charged. Be that as it may, it's still interesting that all these posts out there would add the hashtag blessed. And I think we could dismiss all of that as some shallow social media fad or something, but there, where does the idea come from in the first place? Why would there be an association at all between those things, experiences being portrayed in all those posts and pictures and the notion or perception of being blessed? I'm not going to answer the question. I want to let you chew on the question and just leave it hanging there and head back to the Bible and to the psalm that I want to share with you today. And it is Psalm 67. I want to invite you to hear it, to listen to it. We're not going to have it on the screen. We want to listen and let it, let it come in. If you can't hold yourself, you can read it. It's Psalm 67, but I want to invite you to just listen. For the director of music... With stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. I have a note on a little notebook from 12th of May of 2017 when I was reading this psalm just in my own personal time with the scriptures. And it says about Psalm 67, a blessing for God's people with eschatological hope and outward drive. And I wrote that and I remember reading this psalm and thinking not only here's a blessing for God's people, but thinking this is a blessing for OIC. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. May the people praise you. Right? We're, we're not all peoples working on that, but we're not all peoples. But we're a fair mix, right? We're a nice mix, and we get a taste of this in our little fellowship and community of faith. And I do yearn, I do long for that experience to be shared by more people, not just in OIC, but in different scenarios, this, this, this experience that we can sing together, that we can be together, and that this togetherness is not a flattening of our differences, but it is an abundance of it, right? May the peoples praise you, this plural of praise. And I do very much yearn and long for the peoples of the world to be ruled with equity, 
But then again, they aren't, are they? They're not. If anything, our ability for togetherness in the world it has been strained and in some arenas seems to be hanging by just a thread. And equity, equity is a privilege of the wealthy, pun intended. In a world saturated with inequalities, strife, and division, what does it mean to sing the psalm and ask that God bless us? And why should the nations, the people, celebrate if God blesses us? If our, lands, if our land yields its harvest, would it not envy us or resent us? And who is us, anyway? At this point, my feelings towards Psalm 67 were, as, as you can see, quite mixed, right? And I considered that perhaps they were just misplaced, that this is about an eschatological hope, as I had written in my little notebook. So a reality still in the making and only to be fulfilled at a different fold of time and space that is only tangible by the spirit now and will only be experienced and full in some future. But this is a psalm. This is a psalm. It is a song to be sung with stringed instruments. A psalm, a song to be sung, to be sung today in time with a voice for today. So there had to be more. So I decided to follow the biblical threads in the psalm that could help me understand what is giving substance to this notion of being blessed in Psalm 67. And there are two very important biblical threads being sort of pulled on, so to speak, in this psalm. One of them is more explicit, and it comes with the words, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. You know these words, right? When we say these words in our benediction in the end of the service, we aren't quoting Psalm 67. Uh, we are rather doing the same thing as Psalm 67, which is tracing back to the so-called priestly blessing. Now, this is a blessing that Aaron and his sons are instructed to bless the Israelites with all the way back in, this, as the story is told, in the book of Genesis, Numbers, and so on, in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now it is, it is interesting to consider the context in which this particular blessing is given as it is described in chapter six and the surrounding chapters in the book of Numbers. This blessing comes between two things. It comes between the ordering of the tabernacle and the camp in the wilderness and the coming of the tribes to the tabernacle with their offerings. So the people of Israel had been delivered from Egypt, led by Moses into the desert. They have come to Mount Sinai, they have received the revelation of God in the form of the law, and Moses had received all this instruction on how to organize the camp and how to construct and prepare a tabernacle, a, a, a temple tent, a place of meeting with God, a marker of God's presence among them. 
And then after all of this is organized, we have this instruction for the blessing and then an invitation for the people to come with their offerings. So God acts for deliverance and redemption, and then he sets the stage for people to remember what God did, but also and especially to remember what it means that God is with them, that God is among them. The tabernacle is the marker for the people of Israel in the desert. It is the marker of God's blessing and presence right in the middle of them. And in that context, the people are invited to come and to bring offerings. Offerings that they had in the process of being delivered. It's a good question, right? How, how do runaway slaves have anything to bring? Now let's hold that thread a bit and let's see where the other one leads us. May God bless us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. This other thread, it leads all the way back to Abraham. All the way back to Abraham. And I want to read for you what is, what is known as the call of Abraham. And this is in Genesis 12, and it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I will bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, if we're paying attention to the biblical narrative in the book of Genesis, to how the story is told, we will know that this last bit, so that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, it is not it's not just an add-on. It is not peripheral. It is central to God's calling to Abraham. The story has just come from the creation narratives that talk about God as the creator of the whole world. And then you have Noah and Babel stories that make sure that we understand that God is acting on and for the world stage. And then in this context, Abraham is told, I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now these two threads, right, from Abraham and, and this blessing and the blessed priestly blessing in the desert in that context, these two threads intertwine in Psalm 67. Both contexts speak of a God who acts freely and graciously to redeem and to shape a people that can embody redemption for the sake of the world, that are blessed in order to bless. And in this sense, in this sense, this psalm bears the mark of a covenant people, right? The ones who know God, and because they know God, they can ask God, come, bless us, be with us. But it is, as in the calling of Abraham and the delivery of Israelites from Egypt, it is a twofold blessing. Us 
means us, it means those who sing the psalm, right? Those whom God has revealed himself that they may come to him and ask him his blessing. But it's us for the benefit of the nations. It is an expanding and inclusive us. Because, because God doesn't just make us recipients of his blessing, he makes us participants of his blessing. And this is, I mean, if you forget everything else, remember this. God doesn't make us only recipients of his blessing. He makes us participants of his blessing, participants of his grace and work. And that kind of changes the whole game, doesn't it? Because to be a participant in a blessing is to have open hands to receive that remain open. What does it mean to be blessed if being blessed means taking part in God's blessing? Being a participant in God's blessing. And there's a lot in the story of Israel and the story of the people of God that speak of material wealth as a sign of blessing, right? As land and all of that. And, and that's part of, of the thing, right? But what does it mean? And I follow these threads into the New Testament. And it's interesting how the New Testament deals with this term of being blessed. And as a noun, it is used for God, it is used for Jesus, and it is used for those on the margins, those who suffer, those who struggle, and those who engage with them. I followed these threads into the New Testament and ended up, perhaps unsurprisingly, and perhaps some of you already know where I'm going, I ended up in the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And, and it goes on. We sometimes split this, right? But it goes on and it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except for be, to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. 
Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Perhaps we have too often read this bit about being salt and light of the world separately from the Beatitudes. But Matthew puts them together. Matthew doesn't have that little title (laughs) dividing them. Because it is the blessed who are the salt and light of the world. And the blessed are those who engage with the pain of the world because God engages with the pain of the world. What is common to all of these? The peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful. It is those who engage with the pain and brokenness of the world because God does so. And because of that, they are blessed. They are taking part in the blessing of their Lord. Those who fight for justice because it is a blessing from God and from a God, from God to bring forth justice. Those who are peacemakers because God's blessing is for all nations and all peoples. Those who celebrate when the land yields its harvest because now the hungry can have their share. What does it mean to be blessed, to take part in the blessing of God? What does it mean to receive with open hands and with joy, but to keep our hands open? To not hold it as our own and withhold it as if it wasn't from God. And I know, we've heard this before. (laughs) I've heard this before. It's almost a bit tart, right? (laughs) But we need to say it again. We need to do it again. (laughs) We need to be reminded again and again. All those ways in which we are blessing, from the words of grace to the bread on our tables to the bread of Holy Communion. Blessings we are invited to take part in, to receive with open hands of joy and thankfulness and to keep our hands open. And isn't that what we do when we bless? Isn't that the gesture that so often accompanies it? I like when I'm in a church and I receive the benediction, I like standing with my hands like this. It's just, 
I like doing that. Uh, just putting my body in a position that helps me reminded what I'm trying to do with all of who I am. And often I have the privilege as a, as a priest to bless at the end of a service and have my hands held over you. But I have to connect those in everything. We need to connect those in everything. And it's a bit scary when we stop, start thinking about all that that means from how we deal to the planet that was given us, how we deal with the people with whom we share our lives and places and resources, how we deal with the money in our pockets, the food on our tables, the ideas in our heads, the feelings in our hearts, and the spirit within and among us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. So, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you. And may he make you participants of his peace. Go in peace and serve the Lord joyfully.